Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. I'm Andrew Hayward. I'm Kate Irwin. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM Stacey, welcome back. GM, it's good to be back. All right. And we've got someone right up your alley from the kind of hardcore finance and DeFi world, Stani of Ave, really a DeFi OG. Yeah, he's been in the space so long. I mean, what, there's three different versions of the Ave protocol now? Like that that project has just really flourished over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, when I think of like the first explosion of DeFi, um, you could probably trace it to DeFi summer in 2020. I feel like it was heavily fueled by Ave. Ave was like the main name at that time. There was also Compound, and we recently got to talk to Robert Leshner, the guy behind Compound. But um I feel like it was best characterized by, I went to Bitcoin Miami, unfortunately, uh, the year before last, um, 2021. And, you know, it's all about the parties. And the hottest, most crazy party that everyone was going to go to was the Ave boat party. And people were like physically pushing and jostling each other to get on the Ave boat. It was crazy. Oh, man. I'm not crazy about boat parties because you're kind of a captive party goer. You know, the party oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> the party 100%. ends when they decide to dock it. Yeah. But, um, you know, Ave's got some interesting stuff coming up. You know, they're launching a stable coin, Go, for yep. Ghost, their, their little icon, their logo. And then they're also going to be launching a staked ETH, ETH earn uh, strategy through Oasis that we're going to talk to them about that actually just got announced. Wow. Yep, everyone's getting in on staking ETH post-merge. Um, another thing they're up to is Lens, which, as I understand it, is some kind of social networking thing, which, you know, that's having a moment right now, the idea of alternative social networking attempts other than, you know, the big existing powers, Twitter, et cetera. Uh, quite a time to be doing that. You know, there's Blue Sky, which just launched its waiting list. That was a Dorsey thing. And then, of course, you've got Musk maybe buying Twitter. So, you know, it, it's been something I feel like that has long been discussed of could crypto and blockchain and decentralization fix social media, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, this whole idea of social capital, social tokens, and how do you kind mm. of tokenize your influence and the people who follow you? Like, it, I feel like it's a problem that the, the community has kind of been chewing on for a while. I'm really interested to see how Lens Protocol develops. Yeah. Totally. Lots to talk about, especially there's the market, that little thing. Um, yeah. So great. We'll, we'll bring them on. All right. Cool. Okay. Stani Kulachov, GM. Welcome. GM, GM. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk all things Ave, uh, big name in our space. 
we want to ask you about all kinds of news, recent moves, but let's just start this way in a, in a macro sense, have to talk about the current environment. Renee, a uh, pretty brutal bear market. It's not just crypto, of course, it's the broader economy, it's stocks, but what do you make of where we are? What's your outlook for crypto over the next few months or year? Uh, what's it going to take for things to come roaring back? Yeah, I mean, um, we definitely are in, in quite interesting uh, times at the moment in the in the crypto space. Uh, I, I personally have always looked into crypto or whatever um, I, I've been working on, mainly from um, the technology innovation um, and also adoption uh, standpoint. So um, I started to uh, participate in the space, uh, I think it was roughly um, almost seven years ago, um, and, and mainly from a builder perspective. So that back in 2016, 17, I was um, mainly uh, doing different kinds of proof of concepts, what you could actually do when you are using blockchain and how you can create interesting financial uh, primitives. So at that time, we, uh, we, we really didn't have anything uh, much going on on the Ethereum ecosystem. So the uh, concept of decentralized finance um, didn't exist then. Um, but what existed is, is this ability of actually having a blockchain and virtual machine, a, a, a computer inside of uh, uh, the ecosystem, which can actually compute and you can build different kinds of applications. So um, at, at that point, the tech was very early um, and, and we started to create different kinds of um, uh, proof of um, concept. So looking at back then and, and how decentralized finance has grown over the years uh, to become an actual um, ecosystem of various applications, providing global access to uh, liquidity markets in a transparent fashion without giving up, giving up custody, um, I think we built a lot of tech uh, up to this point. And from, from this point onwards, what I'm thinking about is, um, so now that we have this interesting financial ecosystem, um, how we can get that into more uh, adoption, how we can make stable coins um, uh, the internet of money and, and solving everyday payment problems, preserving value, but at the same time, how we could use the blockchain technology on non-financial transactions and how we can actually get it closer to, to, to people um, and to adoption. And, and the, what I have realized, uh, no matter how much you build, um, no matter how much innovation there is in the space, the markets will never correlate that positive net um, result um, ever. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to predict the markets. And that's like why uh, we usually are focusing on the technology and trying to actually have other kinds of um, KPIs than, than, than the markets. Um, and I think the more we build utility, the more people come to blockchain without thinking about buying, let's say, uh, cryptocurrencies, but actually using blockchain in, in traditional applications, the, the, the less we have to focus on markets as well. But for me, things are looking good from the builder's perspective. So I, I want to ask about the stable coin that you guys are launching, GHO. Um, you know, give us something really high level on that. And, you know, Dan and I have talked to a lot of people this year. Um, you know, we talked 
And stable coins just seem to be having a, a heck of a year, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> things are pretty hot for them back in May, but now we're seeing more platforms either doubling down or coming out with their own stable coins. Like, why do you think the, the market needs another one specifically from Aave? I mean, just to give a brief overview of what the Go stablecoin is, um, um, effectively, it's a over-collateralized um, stablecoin that, that works in a similar model as the uh, uh, over-collateralized DAI stablecoin. Um, so it's a, it's a proven model um, of over The key difference is that um, the other community is using actually the other protocol uh, for creating that stablecoin. So as a liquidity provider, you, you actually provide liquidity into the other protocol mm-hmm. um, and you earn on those assets that you are supplying. And at the same time, you can mint uh, the stablecoin. So it's a bit more capital efficient way of um, creating uh, stablecoins, but also it creates a bit more diversity into the uh, Aave protocol uh, stablecoin Markets. So what's interesting is that the Go stablecoin doesn't really replace all the other stablecoins, but it's actually uh, additional stablecoin amongst the other ones. Um, so that's the kind of like a technical um, high-level overview of, of what Go is. Mm-hmm. What I think is missing at the moment uh, when it comes to stablecoins um, and what we've seen, um, the progression of scalability of the underlying uh, infrastructure of, of, of the blockchain is that we are now, um, the, the other protocol, for example, it's not only deployed on um, Ethereum, uh, uh, Polygon, and Avalanche, but also on layer twos, such as Optimism and Arbitrum. Um, and these layer twos uh, radically uh, decrease the cost of actually transacting and, and using blockchain-based security and I- inheriting the Ethereum security in layer twos. So what I'm thinking and what I'm visioning is that uh, we have first time ever actually an opportunity to get stable coins to be used as the internet money and solving uh, real world payment problems uh, by still using the blockchain. And I think it's a big issue because um, just going back a couple of months ago, I was visiting um, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And stablecoins are actually used to preserve value uh, and transact. So, for example, the national currency in Argentina has almost 100% inflation, mm-hmm. meaning whatever you earn as a consumer uh, today, one year later, you have half of that value in your position, half of the purchasing power. Mm-hmm. And they use stablecoins to actually uh, preserve value and transact. Uh, but the sad part of it is that a lot of Argentinians are using centralized exchanges uh, when you could actually use something that is driving that blockchain um, security. And I see a lot of value and opportunity there. Yeah, Stani, I mean, I know we want to get into regulation even more, but there's just a a follow-up there, which is, you know, as everyone is raving about the uses of stable coins, it also seems like regulators have zeroed in on them as the route through which to go after the entire industry. Um, that was kind of already starting even a year ago. But then when you had the Terra collapse, I mean, even though people in crypto understand that Terra was a unique thing and it was an algorithmic stablecoin and here's why it didn't work and it really shouldn't 
speak to anything about the rest of the industry. I think a lot of people outside the industry, especially politicians, they saw that and they were like, oh, not so stable, you know, something that was a stable coin. I mean, that's the easy joke. Mm, not very stable. It's supposed to stay at a dollar and it plummeted basically to zero. And I think it it kind of hurt things reputationally for everyone. Um, so I guess I'd ask, you know, what, while people in crypto and especially DeFi are raving about, you know, everything should have a stable coin. Stable coins could be the the foundation of all of finance. That's what your kind of peer, uh, Robert Leshner over at Compound, told us just a couple of weeks ago. Um, on the other hand, I think regulators see something that they can try to go after, you know, try to make stable coin issuers uh, follow all the same rules banks do. So does that alarm you? Will that kind of chill innovation or can that be okay if stable coins are heavily regulated? I would say like the... Um, well, let's start from the fascinating part. So the fascinating part about, let's say, decentralized finance and uh, building blockchain-based technology is that um, you you have these open networks that you can contribute. So anyone can actually come and participate and, and innovate. And that's from a uh, perspective of, of a builder. It's really fascinating because you can actually... Um, contribute to any problem that you are specifically interested in solving and experimenting any part of the world. And and when we have an open system and we're relying on open networks and open source code, it means that you can even take the, the Aave protocol, um, uh, modify it, uh, improve it, and, and redeploy it as a new um, piece of the software uh, into the blockchain. Um, the, the challenging part is that we see all these interesting experimentations happening, which some of them actually can become uh, empowering financial products, um, empowering the whole finance space, uh, but specifically might even empower um, wider uh, consumer base. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is that um, some of these protocols are built for scale the same way as we, for example, have today, we're using today the IP protocol or uh, HTTPS protocol. We do it on a daily basis. We don't really give much of attention there. And these are internet protocols that have been existing and improving constantly. Um, and we as, a, we as a internet users, we don't use all the protocols. So there's protocols that are, aren't working well, you know, there aren't good piece of software um, as well, or they aren't efficient enough. Um, so the thing with the uh, decentralized finance and, and open source technology is that you have uh, teams that are looking to build and scale, but also you have actually uh, experimentations. And because it's a it's a one big community, some of these experimentations actually um, might beca- get more adoption than they should get, and mm-hmm. and you can question the the actual underlying economics and they might not be proven some some cases proving uh, um, valuable economics um, might take even years and in some cases uh, decades for example when we look at our economy at the moment uh, the Keynesian model of um, uh, interventing um, the the economy with interest rates uh, inflation uh, that's a, a ongoing experimentation and it hasn't really yet proven itself either. So that's the kind of like a challenge. So you, there's sort of things you can actually do and experiment, but at the same time, um, it might have consequences. So the question is here, um, how to distinguish these two things uh, apart? And, and the second question is that um, how we can actually keep the innovation flowing uh, 
without creating a lot of challenges. And in my opinion, I think where a lot of value comes in is in self-governance. So the mm-hmm. communities have to figure out ways to actually um, govern and understand what is what is actually valuable, what is to experiment experimental, uh, what shouldn't be deployed. Uh, because if that doesn't happen, obviously it's it's the regulator's uh, job to actually come and, and understand that, you know, and create those uh, rules. And the challenge there is that not all regulators might have the exact same amount of time as we have to um, research and investigate mm-hmm. what are these financial primitives and how they work and what value they might bring short and long term. Um, which or not any of them, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to ask about the the Stabenow-Boozman bill that's been making the rounds. Like there was just a draft leaked a little earlier this week. And just to kind of catch listeners up if they've not been following it, um, this is a bill that lays out a framework for how the CFTC would regulate crypto, what actually is in their purview, what isn't, who would actually need to get um, registered with them and to what extent. And up until recently, and some people would even say still, it, it just seems like there's some language in there that is basically anti-DeFi would make it really difficult for DeFi to continue to exist in the States without, you know, having this huge burden to register and be regulated. Um, how much are you following that? Because like you were saying before, you know, this all keeps growing and and evolving if we have an ecosystem where people can try things and experiment and things like that. But you know, if there's this burden where just because you write code, you've got to be registered with the CFTC and everything like that, that could really put a chill. So, you know, are you following this yeah. bill? How worried are you about it? I mean, end of the day, I I, I do follow closely on, on things that is ha- that are happening in the industry. Obviously, that's more of a, a line of work of our, um, our legal team and, and our uh, policy. But the what I think it's interesting is that, um, you know, if you think about like decentralized finance as how it works today, so like, like it really depends on the decentralization. So for example, in, in the case of um, the, the Aave protocol, many of these DeFi protocols, they, I mean, they are governed by the uh, uh, decentralized uh, governance, meaning the, mm-hmm. uh, the Aave community has to come together to make decisions, for example, how they want to change risk parameters, how they want to um, uh, further improve the protocol uh, in the future, how they want to give out uh, grants to developers or um, anyone who wants to contribute uh, into the uh, ecosystem. So in, in one ways, um, I'm basically one um, part of the other community, but one one voice in the community. And, mm-hmm. and this is quite typical across many of the uh, DeFi protocols uh, at the moment that are uh, scaled enough that they have a wide decentralized community. MakerDAO is uh, another good example where, you know, there, there isn't a single person that can actually decide upon things. So for me, which, which, which is going to be interesting is that, um, you know, like how to create legislation that takes into consideration how these protocols are operating in obviously self autonomous um, applications uh, mm-hmm. in the blockchain, but also governed by a, you know, decentralized um, uh, community. So I, I think like there's there's definitely challenges in, in the bill, but at the same time, um, I think what is what is a bigger issue is 
how do we ensure that decision makers understand what how this system works and how they're governed and what is the value? And what's for me has been exciting to um, see over the, the the couple of years is that um, like how these communities can actually how well they're governed. Um, the software and the risk involved. So obviously the, the benefits of the decentralized finance, I don't know if we need to talk about them, but getting that um, wide uh, transparency exposure mm-hmm. to the whole ecosystem. So not only about what is, that, you can basically see how much stable coins are minted, with which protocols they are sitting, what is the collateralization levels and across various protocols, smart project based execution and um, eliminating that uh, custodial risk. It introduces a whole bunch of other risks, but right. in, a, in a different kind of like a scale. So for me, what is exciting to see over the past years is that how these communities have been able to manage risk uh, well enough. So crypto is very volatile, as we know. Like we we see it all the time. It goes up and down. Yeah. Um, we even see some seen so-called stable coins that are algorithmic going completely to uh, zero if they don't have good economics. So we see volatility in the space. But at the same time, what we've seen is that decentralized finance as a resilient infrastructure has been working um, very well. And I think people aren't talking enough about, about it, how actually beneficial it is. Going back to the 3RO capital BlockFi Celsius example, the DeFi protocols were the only ones where these entities were actually repaying those loans because you couldn't uh, bend the smart contract rules. They're codified mm-hmm. there um, and governed upon the, the, the community members. Right. Like you can't, you can't call the smart contract and ask for a little bit of leniency. <laughs> like if <laughs> yeah, you, if you go past a certain point, you're getting liquidated. Like there's nobody to negotiate with. Code is law. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned Stani DeFi governance and the positives there. It's interesting. A few weeks back, I spoke to Kane uh, Warwick, the founder of Synthetics, and our assigned topic was DeFi governance. And he said he thinks it actually has gotten worse overall in the past year. But he then, you know, hit an optimistic note, which was in a bear market, people will actually work on things and fix things. You know, when everything was great and it was price go up, people weren't focused on actually fixing. It was just move fast and make more money and up only. Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with that? Think that's fair? Or do you think governance has actually gotten better? I mean, there's still a lot of imperfections there. Something I like to say that, you know, maybe it's short-sighted, but um, DeFi governance kind of a, a, assumes a faith in the idea of like the wisdom of crowds, you know, that, oh, the community, if they're deciding as a whole, then we can trust what the community decides. But in some cases, one or two people who founded something and know the most about it might be the better ones to make a decision than the community, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I do definitely agree that there's like usually the the early developers of a protocol um, have good experience of, of, of how the protocol could be evolved in the future. But in many cases, these protocols are quite optimized on, on the tech side of the thing. So for example, if you look at the Aave protocol, it's been uh, from version one to two to three. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't really much things you can actually optimize. Uh, there's there's probably interesting um, 
technical changes you can actually make to optimize the gas consumption um, of 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 this of of the, the different actions, but um, it it really is a very high end piece of software at, at at this point. So I think it's mainly about how to actually manage the risk more and the. I think even like the, the, the there there are few risk teams out there in 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 the DeFi space and and more coming actually mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So I, I think I've I've seen a bit more shift on that side on the risk side to from um, from the founding teams to community members and to risk um, uh, management uh, companies. And I think that's an interesting um, shift at the moment as as well. But I think also there are a lot of people that care about these protocols and they put the effort to actually learn about them. There is also uh, development teams that actually actively uh, find protocols to contribute into. We've seen this happen for for multiple protocols. Uh, And I think that's amazing because, um, you know, you can, as a development team, you can go to the other governance, make a proposal that we want to optimize something or we want to fix the governance, make it te- technically cheaper to vote, um, mm-hmm. or we have a better solution. And it's open and anyone can do that. And I think that's the, the beauty of um, decentralization and, and governance. What I do agree with, with, with Kane as well is that um, the, the challenge is that everyone has been speed raising for the, the, the tech implementations of, of, the, of the protocol, the kind of like a product side. But then the actual governance is always something that comes um, after um, mm-hmm. or there isn't enough resources to look into it. And it's easier to kind of like uh, uh, take something existing and, and use it in your own governance model. So when we were uh, building our version two governance, we looked at pretty much everything that was out there and we tried to figure out, well, what could be those things that are actually important for, for the Aave governance uh, um, the the Aave community and how we can actually innovate and something simple that even we did is that um, delegations where typically you could delegate your voting and proposition power we, we separated that that you can actually delegate uh, voting power to a so-called protocol politician and proposition power power to a someone who is creating a uh, technical proposal so effectively what you're doing here is that like philosophically, um, you are giving your voting mandate to politicians, but also giving you kind of like a um, lawmaking mandate to um, someone who can actually like codify um, mm-hmm. a, a proposal. And that's quite uh, interesting. But that just showcases that um, we don't innovate enough as a community of the governance. And there's things to, to be solved, for example, how you can actually make the experience better, motivate more community members to govern uh, and, and make it more uh, valuable. And I think what I've seen is that the delegation model is becoming more and more popular, um, especially because we don't all have time to contribute to read every single proposal. Mm-hmm. And some of these proposals are really technical and yeah. they might have difficult economical changes and it's very hard to actually follow there. So sometimes it's better to actually keep, just give your mandate to someone who has that time contribution to do that. Yeah. It's such an interesting idea because you have to, you know, not everyone who's part of the community 
for Aave or any other protocol for that matter is a developer and understands all of that kind of language or is, you know, an economist and maybe has a really good understanding of what the economics of everything should be. So the delegate model has been really interesting watching how that has played out for, for different projects in the community. Do you think that's how, you know, maybe the risk thing you were talking about could work? Like if there is a risk team, then, you know, somehow they're going to get, it's, it would be built in that they'll have something delegated to them and it's their job to try to check things and, you know, issue some kind of decision on how risky something might be. Definitely. <clears throat> so I think uh, what's uh, interesting in the Aave uh, version 3 that we launched um, at the beginning of the year is that there is this, uh, effective this role um, named as risk administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Aave governance can actually decide to put a... Uh, let's say a smart contract uh, logic into that function mm-hmm. to delegate um, uh, risk administration to a particular entity with, between certain um, thresholds. So you could have a risk uh, management entity to actually uh, governing that uh, part of the, of the protocol and you can delegate different markets, different asset configurations. So you can actually even decentralize how you delegate the mm-hmm. risk management. And I think risk management is super, super exciting field. So if I will be now uh, maybe like, I don't know, 10 years younger and thinking of building a business on top of Web3, I think it will be um, something related to risk management Mm -hmm. because it's such a complex and exciting field because you actually have all the data available on, on the blockchain. So you see different kinds of transactions happening. You can quantify um, the the um, different kinds of collateral ratios uh, um, and asset movements. Um, you can quantify liquidity. It's like you have this incredible uh, infrastructure that is verified data and it's mm-hmm. accurate verified financial data. So it's it's just it's an incredible opportunity to create very good risk um, management uh, products. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of. Um, uh, evolvement as well in terms of uh, building businesses on top of the uh, DeFi ecosystem. Uh, but also, I think we'll see also more de-risking happening. Now, the mm-hmm. question is that will that de-risking stay for the next bull market? Because the, the challenge is that a lot of risk parameters are set during um, the upcycle of the market, but they should be dynamically reduced when the market is um, uh, decreasing as well. Uh, of, of liquidity. So that's something that I, I would love to see like more long-term uh, planning there. It's such an interesting idea because if you think about traditional banks, it's not as though they can see the metadata of their competitors' transactions. That's that's never been true really until <laughs> now in DeFi where, you know, just because you're competitors, like you can go see how all of the competitors' transactions have turned out. And then you can turn that into data that you're going to use to make your platform safer better more efficient so yeah it's it's a really interesting dynamic i think that DeFi kind of adds into you know the way i think i think it's exciting because um you know it's like when you look at wall street for example it's quite a black box so you could Mm -hmm. you could gather information uh from financial reports that are periodic so maybe quarterly based uh annual um and also um reports of uh, compliance reports as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But in, in decentralized finance, it's actually like an aquarium, right? So you see, you have to state every single moment, verified data, um, and at the same time, anyone can actually look into that data. So what's fascinating that is happening now in the Aave community is that we don't only have one um, risk service provider, but there is another one. So there's Gauntlet that is typically done uh, risk assessments uh, within the Aave community and across decentralized finance. We have now also Chaos Labs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually see because risk is something where as a space, uh, you, you don't really overlap things, but you have different kinds of uh, uh, opinions on, on what is the risk and assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's now interesting to see when we start to have more of the risk entities uh, providing risk services to the Avidao, actually uh, seeing kind of like how they differentiate and what kind of choices the community will uh, will, will make and hopefully better um, quality decisions um, as well. But this is why I love the space because, you know, you might have an, an opinion um, and someone else might come and say, hey, I found something, uh, I, I, I actually found something else based on my research and this is what makes better finance in in my opinion nice uh let's talk about making certain things better like social networking maybe you know you mentioned uh ave v3 we talked about the gho stablecoin but other ave news recently that we want to bring up is the lens protocol um using you know DeFi or, or decentralization to try to improve social media has kind of been like a long time pie in the sky ambition people have had. You know, we just covered earlier uh, this week the launch of Blue Sky, or at least Blue Sky yeah. launched like a waiting list, which was a, a Jack Dorsey project. And it's all happening at an interesting time because, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter or not buying it, but maybe, maybe. buying it. Um, <laughs> and I know that, that you like to be a, a crypto voice on Twitter as well. Talk to us about Lens and how that's going to work and, and whether all this stuff can actually kind of fulfill its promise. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting path that we have taken at, at Aave. So we we started building finance and what we realized that we, we, we actually were building access to finance, access to market, and, and effectively um, we have been about uh, bringing, bringing accessibility to open networks. What's interesting about the Lens protocol is that it's a social media protocol built on smart contracts where you can create your profile um, and it's tokenized as an NFT. So it's verified by the blockchain and you can follow other profiles across the whole uh, networks and that's secured with the blockchain as well. So the way we see it is that um, we people have financial capital. Um, some, of, some of us have, have financial capital. So... DeFi is very interesting when you can um, you have capital to get yield, for example, um, or you have value to tr- transact. But something that every single person on the planet has, um, regardless, is social capital, regardless of the internet as well. So our everyday actions, what what we do, the re- relationships we create, um, for example, with with our peers, uh, the people we meet. Um, uh, the neighbors we create, that's all social capital and, the, and also the knowledge we obtain and share. And what's interesting about the internet is that 
and, and Web2 social is we effectively made it very efficient to, to create social capital um, and, 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 and also um, on a wide scale. So, so for example, uh, today by using social media, you can actually connect to any peer in the planet. And at the same time, you can read any news across the globally and share it and share your ideas to your uh, audience. So the big difference, what, what is now and, and what we're doing with Lens is that we create all this social capital, um, but it's actually stuck in those uh, platforms that we use on a daily basis. So for example, uh, Twitter, um, I have an audience in Twitter. Um, I have followers there um, and I can actually share my ideas, make connections. And that's the social capital that I create there. But I really can't actually take my followers or my profile uh, and port it into another uh, application that maybe uh, is better experience for me, reflects my values uh, better or I have better alignment with. And with Lens Protocol, what we're doing is that you actually, we, we change the dynamics in a way where you own your profile and your social graph. And anything that is built on top of the Lens Protocol, actually, whether it's experience um, or an algorithm, you can actually have the flexibility to choose without leaving your social capital uh, behind. And that's the biggest um, radical uh, difference, I would say, or like change of the dynamics, what we have in Web3 Social with um, Web3 Social. So we're kind of like expanding the concept of in Bitcoin, you basically, you own your, uh, you own your money, your store of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Lens Protocol, effectively, you own your social uh, capital, social presence. Of course, like anything else, the, the challenge is scale, right? Like scale, getting people yeah. to come over and, and, you know, set up Lens Protocol. Or yeah, and I, I think the, the key difference here is that um, we have to build new things, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think going after Twitter um, moves the needle, like going after Twitter audience because, or let's say going after um, Instagram, uh, Facebook, because they have very strong social networks. So they've been built on a principle where you can't leave the platform because all your audience is there. So you have to be there. Um, and they have the resources to create algorithms as well to keep you there um, and other perks. What I think is going to be interesting is that finding what are those new experiences and creating those new algorithms and plugging into the new experiences and building new interest graphs and in getting people into those new applications, um, which gonna actually um, make the technology to adopt. So I think it's actually the applications and use cases that bring the technology further. Um, so I don't believe seeing uh, anytime soon Twitter becoming a you know completely Web three based. Uh, but I, I could imagine that something bigger happens on application level that is powered by Web three, where a lot of uh, people are going because it brings them something new. And that's, I think, where the scale and adoption uh, will happen. So I I wanted to ask about, and that's because, you know, this episode is going to come out a, a few days from now. By the time it is out, you guys will have announced that 
you're launching this new staked ETH ETH uh, earned strategy through Oasis. Um, so I wanted to ask if you could give us kind of like a very high level overview of that. And then, you know, I have some other questions because some of the other things in here are that, you know, the idea is that this whole strategy of like you deposit your staff, you borrow more ETH, you get more staff, and then you can kind of do that a few times over. That is technically, you know, that has been a, a pretty complex and risky strategy in the past. But what you guys are saying is that post-merge, this is now a little less risky than it used to be. So I guess let's just start with the overview because this is a brand new thing by the time people are going to be hearing it. Steph or Steve, by the way? I always say Steph. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually, I, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated about the um, kind of like staking derivatives um, in the sense that because they're like the, the primary use case is to secure underlying network, let's mm-hmm. say Ethereum in this case. So we see today um, staked ETH being uh, tokenized as a so-called liquid form. Um, so as a token in Lido, Coinbase has their uh, CBE as well. So um, the tokenization part is um, quite fascinating because it, it actually proves the one of the ideas of decentralized finance where uh, liquidity is something that moves and value uh, could actually move across. There's always also security considerations that we need to think about always when we look at staking derivatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that's the fact that, um, especially in the case of Ethereum, for example, it's one way staking at the moment. So right. uh, whatever goes into staking it in terms of uh, value you can't unstake it until the uh, this Shanghai um, um, uh, improvement on, on which which makes the uh, staking two ways so you can unstake and then you have uh, at that point most likely the uh, eat and, and and staked it or staking derivatives will trade closely in in part mm-hmm. because because of this uh, technical improvement. I think it's a it's an interesting way to to um, get leverage of your position, but I think it's as a use case, it's very professional. Um, I don't see a lot of um, kind of like non professional appetite for uh, for that kind of thing. So I, I, I know in decentralized finance there there is some service, um, some applications that actually provide so called vaults that automate this process and, and make it more exciting um i know instead of has something similar DeFi savior um but at the same time whenever you are composing things um you're always adding risk so that's something that needs to be um, um also acknowledged and i think that's something that is missing at the moment is that how do you distinguish and how do you actually um understand the compounding risks uh involved and this goes back to the the, the um, the, the 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 previous discussion that I would want to, if I would be ten years younger, I would start a uh, risk uh, management firm on Web three. <laughs> yeah, you still could. <laughs> don't don't rule it out. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to make sure that we ask you, Stani. You know, we were speaking to Brandon Neal from Euler uh, at Mainnet a few weeks back, um, another of the newer lenders. And he basically said, and he meant it, you know, as praise, that there was kind of a duopoly in DeFi lending, and it was Ave and Compound. And he said, you know, now there's more of us, and and it has it has bred competition. 
But do you see it that way? And I guess a different way to ask it is there's a lot more protocols, platforms doing crypto and DeFi lending now. Um, so how do you make sure that even though you had like an early lead or you were one of the OGs, that you guys remain, you know, the place to go for that? I mean, for for what I think is personally is important is that the, the space is as diverse as possible so that there uh, there's actually a lot of options for for users and and different variations as long as the uh, risks are well uh, mitigated and and you know there is there's factual community governance over these protocols like like it's not enough that there is like uh, a, a, a platform has a token uh, not a platform I mean a protocol has a token but actually there should be like a decentralized governance and community behind of it making uh, decisions and, and care, caring about what they're trying to achieve and I think it's good I mean there's there's probably um, a couple of dozen Aave forks that I that I know that has been deployed um, across different networks that are um working to some extent some 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 of the them are experimentation so that's one thing is what you can do is you can take the other protocol and improve it and um uh deploy but i i personally see that the, the space is very diverse at this point and i um and i think kind of like these protocols as a public goods so for example you, you don't necessarily need that many if you can come and actually have a voice uh, in the protocol because that that is where um, th- that is where changes are happening so if if you can actually go and help an existing protocol and making better that's good for everyone because it's a public good and, and everyone can participate um, if something doesn't exist uh, then you can create it the challenge there is that you know going back a couple of years ago building this and just finance, um, was less riskier. So, um, you know, building up a version one, um, we were expecting um, 30 million worth of uh, TVL ended up being half a billion worth of TVL. Version two, we were expecting a billion TVL ended up at its peak to being um, 13 or 14 billion uh, TVL. So it just showcases that kind of like whatever you are doing is that um, in most cases, it's easier to contribute to an existing um, protocol and become a delegator and actually push that movement or or join that team because it's public good. Um, and if if the, if the if there isn't a good consensus within that um, community, what you can do always is to create a smaller community and fork the existing protocol and create a new path. And that's the kind of like idea of um, open source technology is that. Um, you know, you can create uh, variations uh, depending on what is the uh, the objective. But I think it's it's always good that there's um, more uh, participants. We don't just see it as like competition. Like we don't think about protocols from business mindset. We think about them as public goods and how to make better. I personally been involved also in the maker. Uh, governance uh, back in the days, commenting and, and proposing, and and probably I will do that more across all um, different D- DeFi protocols um, and and reinforcing them because I think it's time to reinforce 
uh, not to create new unless there's really new innovation, uh, in my opinion. I wanted to ask about something you said earlier about DeFi and this idea that, you know, there's some very established projects in the space, but there's also a lot of experimentation happening. And it sounded like the way you were characterizing the um, some of the projects that failed earlier this year was that, you know, these were experiments, they were interesting ideas, but they attracted a lot more support and capital, I think, than perhaps, you know, they might have planned to. <laughs> so then when, of course, they fail, you know, these were experimental, but they fail, they fail in a big way. And then it kind of like, the dust kind of like hits everyone in the space. So I, I'm wondering about like, you know, this next iteration of DeFi or, you know, when we move into the next bull market, do you think there's a way to kind of make sure that like some of these experiments don't get so big that they fail in such a big way? Or is that just kind of something that needs to happen? I don't think it needs to happen necessarily. Like I think that what's important is that the community is aware what an experimentation is um, and in some cases, it's it's kind of like exists. There's experimentations like um, you know Ample Ford that is that is specifically um, trying to create a a more of a um, internet commodity, uh, what I remember. Um, and 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 then you see smaller ideas experimentations. Like you don't really need to kind of like exp- experiment on a large scale, and that's definitely mm-hmm. not the way to go and I think you can build a protocol or an experiment in a way where it's really uh, um, capped in how you can participate you know in in terms of like how much capital um, an experimentation can have and and, mm-hmm. and keep it it that way I, I think uh, having those kind of like a gated launches to smaller communities and making them even private it might be interesting way to go I mean Eventually, they might be public goods and, and empowering. Um, you know, when you think about DeFi, um, we do think about like things like yield and you know how easy it is to move capital. But mm-hmm. on the background, what has been created is kind of like a global uh, liquidity market uh, where everyone has the same um, um, democratic access to that protocol, same information. So you know have that big information difference between uh, peers and you can uh, you have guaranteed operations by the smart contracts how the protocol works plus you also have a voice in the community so you can express um, your opinion so like we created something very very valuable um, as a whole uh, web3 space um, but I think kind of like um, um, comes to experimentations you know they need to start with better validation and mm-hmm. if you look at how the ethereum community works in terms of uh, improvement proposals it takes a lot of time to get something done in that community it's not because actually um it's not because there's a process but because actually changing and making improvements into an underlying network is a big change you know mm-hmm. even things like account abstraction that could help key recovery, help adoption, um, getting more users into the space and making a bit more easier to interact with um, the blockchain, which will be very helpful actually for Lens Protocol and and Web3 Social. Uh, Those things take some time. And actually you can experiment with more on uh, layer two. But the reason it takes time because there needs to be proper validation on Mm -hmm. 
these features and, and updates. Right. It's an interesting idea because crypto is known for being just moving at breakneck speeds all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in some cases, things taking a long time, like that's a feature, not a bug. Like, <laughs> I <laughs> don't think people see the, it that way. When, yeah. Tell all like, the win token of, and when coin go up, people that. <laughs> yeah. Like, think about how long the merge took, but it went off without a hitch. It did what it was yeah. supposed to do for all the years that we waited for it to finally show up. Right. Right. Totally. Except ETH didn't go up. So people are unhappy. Um, <laughs> Stani, we'd like to end on something a little more fun. So, so here's mine for you. It's, it's been interesting to me or fun to me to see the way that like design and branding um, actually kind of matters in the DeFi world and everything has like, it's, it's kind of cute logo. I don't know how it happened naturally, but it ended up being animals. Um, you know, you've got like the frog and you've got the Uniswap unicorn and the Ave Ghost and the, There's a you know, yeah. And the bunny swap bunny and the pancake swap, you know, stack of pancakes. Um, it's like kind of fun when you scroll through coin market cap and see all the little logos, but uh, how did the Ave Ghost come to be and how, how, you know, how has that affected how you do things? It's like your, your flag. I mean, uh, back, back in those days when we were branding, um, we kind of realized that, you know, because the, the, the ways, the way finance work is that you have um, a lot of kind of like, you, you put a lot of effort in building a conservative brand um, because obviously it's, it's finance, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're dealing with funds. Right other people's funds and you, you have custody of their funds and, and this finance yeah serious brands and these interest finance you really don't have that because it's 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 a user directly to the protocol uh, interactions meaning that you know here's the here's what 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 operations the the protocol can actually do you know and and that's all about it you know and then it's governed by a community and how there's a formal process on how those changes can um uh, become active and what happens there is that uh you know you actually suddenly like it's not about the brand it's you have all the transparency and all um you know the code speaks itself so you can actually create a brand that is more um reflective of the community or um mm -hmm. uh, being more fun <laughs> if, 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 if it's easy to put it that way so we in case of ave ave means ghost in finnish um, and the idea came from the fact that when we build a protocol in the first place and it's deployed by the community, uh, we're no longer needed. So if any, any person from the Aave team uh, leaves the Aave community, uh, takes a break, it will still the protocol will still work. The governance mm -hmm. will still work. There's people there um, voting const on a constant basis and there, there's developers that are... Uh, there are grading grants from the the Aave DAO and the Aave Grants DAO to to uh, provide development services, risk services to the DAO. So, and every like you can actually take any of the piece of of the component out, and it will still function um, mm -hmm. quite well. And that's what the, the the ghost is. The new thing is that we also have um, Aave has the uh, Rave parties, um, and we have this very nice LED. LED ghost that we call Ronnie. So that's the Ronnie ghost. So nice. we kind of have two ghosts at the moment. It's, it's, Wait, and I um, want to ask real quick. You want to be ghosted. 
Yeah. So the stable coin is Go. It's not G-H-O. I think Dan and I both said G-H-O. It's just Go. Okay. For Ghost, of course. Okay. Well, the ticker is G-H-O. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you say it Go. We pronounce Go, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but and then, Stani, how do you pronounce Steeth or S-T-E-T-H? I just, I, I just say staked eat. Even when I when I see the S T E, I just say staked eat. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I feel like Is the there, last um, month has been such a learning oh, period yeah. for how people actually like to pronounce their things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun time. Uh, one more fun one, in fact. Uh, or I don't know if it's fun for you, Stani, but is is there much of a uh, crypto scene in in Finland? Um, I think there is. Um, there is increasingly more. So we see um, more builders in Finland. So obviously it's, it's uh, as a country, there's a lot of tech there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, those who remember Nokia was, um, was uh, and is from Finland, uh, did a lot of great phones uh, for a long time, uh, a lot of good tech, they built networks. Um, but also like in terms of uh, the, the blockchain technology, we, we see more and more um, people coming uh, from actually Finland. And mm-hmm. next month, there's going to be Slosh, which is one of the biggest uh, tech conferences. Um, and they this year, they have a bit of focus on, on Web3 as well. So I'm going to be there. Um, so if anyone is traveling to Finland, uh, feel, feel free to uh, come and say hi. So it's interesting that blockchain um, is being taking more and more seriously in the, in the tech community. And that's important because it's it's one of the most important uh, technologies in our um, society. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. All right. Very cool. Exciting stuff. Um, so we'll definitely look to see what comes out of the conference. Um, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad we were able to talk to you. Thank you so much. And if there's someone who uh, either all of you or any anyone in the audience uh, wants a Lens profile and wants to try the Lens protocol beta, uh, you can DM me on, on Twitter um, and I can help you out. Nice. That's a reward for our listeners who stay <laughs> yes. all the way till the end. That's you great. made it to the end. This is your reward. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks, Donnie. Thank you so much. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And I'm Stephen Graves. 